Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, don't wait for cutting-edge tech to start leveraging what you have now. Uh, the department has access to on-class all the way to top-secret, scalable cloud capabilities. So there's no reason not to get started while these other capabilities are continuing to, to be developed. Digitizing the Air Force won't just be a technology solution. It's part of a larger you know, transformation, I think, concept. It isn't just about bots and RPA, it's about flipping the workforce and what they focus on. And the missing piece of the supply chain puzzle is at the top. You gotta have the leadership involved, you gotta have the metrics, and then you gotta feed your way through this. You gotta operationalize to the effects. It's Friday, March 18th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The new electronic health record system at the Department of Veterans Affairs is causing eight major problems for end users at one test site. The VA Office of Inspector General finds some of those problems include not flagging records of patients at risk for suicide and bad links for the VA Video Connect system. The findings are part of three reports the VA OIG released Thursday. The Defense Department will give employees at least 30 days notice before it requires them to come back to their offices. A new memo from Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks says DOD components can give longer notices if they want to. The memo says the 30-day minimum will hold, quote, absent an urgent and compelling mission need. You can read more on these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Decision makers from the Navy, the Jake Office, the DOD, the State Department, and more agencies are coming to the Government Forum 2022. It'll be at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City, April 19th. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Chief Digital and Artificial Intelligence Office at the Defense Department will give warfighters what its chief information officer calls a decision advantage. John Sherman told me Tuesday on the Daily Scoop podcast providing that decision advantage should be the measure of success of the new CDAO office. Vimesh Patel is Chief Technology Advisor at Worldwide Technology, former senior executive and technical leader at the National Security Agency. Vimesh, welcome back. Thanks for coming on the program. Data underpins everything that will go on in that CDAO office is what John told me on Tuesday. What's the best way to continue to evolve an organization's data strategy and data capabilities in order to do what he calls that decision advantage? Welcome, Vimesh. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The, the best way, in my opinion, is to continue to focus on those outcomes and make sure we're always thinking about what we're trying to do. It's not about you know implementing technology for technology's sake or AI for AI's sake. But when, we, when John talks about decision advantage, what does that really mean and how can we achieve it? And then start working back through the different kinds of technologies that we can implement, uh, both uh, available in industry and purpose-built for the Department of Defense, and put that into action. The thinking backwards from what the decision advantage is, too, I imagine, is where it's the source of all the complexity in an organization like DOD, right? Because I think everybody focuses on the real high-level stuff of you know, putting ordinance on a target at some point in time, if that becomes necessary. And that's just one of a jillion different outcomes, I imagine, that DOD leaders and national security leaders need to think about, right? I agree. I think when John talks about the decision advantage, he's not just referring to, 
you know, bombs and bullets. Uh, he was referring to uh, workforce training and development. He's referring to business, uh, supply chain, logistics. How can we better use data across the department for all of these areas? Uh, and I think that's the, the key piece is really to understand the different ways that we can and then implement it uh, and, and do that in a, a wide variety of ways. What are some of those ways that organizations, not just in DOD, but across the government enterprise, especially the national security enterprise, can do that, Vimesh? That's a great question. I'll, I'll break that down into a couple different lenses. The first is, in general, there's this concept of just doing better with data. We are used to you know, making decisions uh, with less data right now. And so to, to bring data into the culture and into the decision-making process and use it as advantage is gonna take a little bit of a cultural shift, right? Our leaders have to understand and think about how to use data and what they would do with it. I ask a, a question sometimes, we'll talk about a project uh, and I'll say, hey, how, how would you use that, right? Let's say we created this new capability that created more information and data, how would you use that? And if the answer was, well, it'd be a really good, you know, data point to to take in. I, I'm like, no, you know, we have to think a little bit differently. Uh, some of what I see is really just organizing data and making it more available. So it's not really the sexy AI that people, you know, think of when we talk about uh, AI and machine learning. But one organization uh, and another organization need to learn and figure out how to better share data across each other. Then there's like another tier, which in my mind is automation. There's a lot of repetitive manual tasks that go on with data. Uh, I have a great example. When I was at the National Counterterrorism Center, you know, we had analysts who were like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad we have data scientists. I have this spreadsheet and I, I don't know how to do these formulas. Can you help me? That's not what we're talking about, but there, there is a lot of that that's needed. Uh, how can I just bring automation to reduce uh, the amount of time it takes to do these repetitive tasks and, and free up more time? Then I think you get into artificial intelligence and machine learning, and I'll break that down into two different lenses. One, tremendous amount of uh, private equity and venture capital investment across the board in commercial industry. So there's a lot of stuff the department should look at just buying. Uh, things like uh, image analytics. You know, There's companies that do that really, really well today. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Then there's battlefield AI, uh, I don't know, smart bullets, I guess, if there is a thing very purpose-built, very custom for the department. That's where we talk about needing these really high-end talent of, of AI and data science uh, experts, building models and algorithms and testing them and making sure they're being used responsibly. So there's a whole bunch of different layers to how to really improve the decision advantage across the department. So one of the challenges then it sounds to me is going to be not just for the technology leaders in the defense department and other organizations in government, but for the acquisition leaders too, to understand what's available so they know what they can buy out of the box and what they have to have custom built for them. Is that fair to say? Uh, that is fair to say, and I think this is really, really important. Uh, we should not be reinventing the wheel. There are so many companies out there in existence today that are doing a work in AI and machine learning. How can the government take advantage of those today? And the other piece is that these companies are building capabilities that aren't uh, for use by rocket scientists, right? We're, we're trying to bring these capabilities to everywhere, to everyone, to give everyone in the department an advantage. So how can we how can we take those capabilities and use them today and make sure we're making the right decisions about what we're investing in, right? The battlefield advantage against our nation state adversaries 
is going to take a lot of discipline. It's going to take a lot of high-end talent. Let's focus our high-end talent on that mm-hmm. and leverage industry for what they're really good at and what they're doing already. All right. Um, what is the best way to focus that high-end talent to achieve the goal that you just laid out, do you think, Vimesh? Back to, to, to my beginning is uh, first about the outcome and, and making sure that we're focused on the outcome. I, I think there's also a natural tendency with new technology uh, to to use the term low-hanging fruit, right? Let's do a couple projects that are low-hanging fruit to get some momentum. I'm very conflicted about low-hanging fruit because if you have low-hanging fruit, that that kind of means maybe you don't really have a plan to do the hard things. Uh, but at the same time, sometimes you, as part of culture change, you have to demonstrate what you're talking about and what you're thinking of. And I think there's a balance there, but let's make sure we're not just picking off the easy things uh, because it's really the hard things that are going to give us that advantage uh, against our adversaries. What's the best way to scale something or to progress something from that low hanging fruit uh, project to something that really is a lot more meaty? It's to have that in in a vision because that's also another conflict. If you focus on stovepipe low hanging fruit projects, then maybe you won't have a vision for how to scale. Or if you solve a single use case, then you don't really know how to scale. My view is if you pick some really clear and critical outcomes and focus on those, then the vision for what you need to do next to achieve scale will be there. John talked about a lot of major platforms that are in flight right now, JWDCC and things that Jake are doing to make these platforms right that allow scalability. I would argue those platforms exist today. Uh, you know, after this call, you and I could get on any of the major public cloud providers and start doing all kinds of interesting things around AI. We could do image analytics, we could do text analysis. Uh, the department has access to on class all the way to top secret scalable cloud capabilities. So there's no reason not to get started while these other capabilities are continuing to, to be developed. Vimesh, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks very much for coming on the program today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. You can read more about the new CDAO office at the Pentagon in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, coming on Monday's show, Inside the Technology Modernization Fund, Present and Future. The Chief Information Officer of the United States, Claire Martirana, is here. That show debuts Monday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Air Force will reassign all of its multi-domain warfare officers. It's a career field the force created in 2018. Bill Marion's managing director at Accenture Federal Services. He's former deputy chief information officer at the Air Force. Bill, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. This won't apply to that many people right now, that many airmen. I think it's in the 130s. But what General Brown, the chief of the Air Force, says he wants to do is he wants these skills to propagate among the entire force. What does that look like from a technology perspective in your view, Bill? Welcome. Uh, well, thanks again for the invite, Francis. Good to, good to get with you again. I, I think at a larger picture, these smaller career fields are, are problematic to basically to manage at, at the basic level. And so the other piece to it is getting multi-domain integrated across all aspects of the career field is also needed. So it's it's kind of a perfect storm to bring forth the, the right modernization. I think from an IT and cyber perspective, this is what we're seeing across all the areas, the, the, the innate requirement to have technology skills inherent in everything we do from personnel to warfighting to logistics. I, I think it recognizes that key point. And so 
when you think about all domain command and control, getting those skill sets in, ingrained is, is a criticality, I, I think, for the future mission force. How does the Air Force, how would you suggest the Air Force go about growing an airman to have these skills, whether it's an enlisted person or an officer? Well, the, the thematic we use here at Accenture, I think, is really a, an area that, that kind of highlights the, the shortages in the Air Force today, which is typically we try to either build an airman or buy a contract. So it's kind of two Bs. But we look at a dimension of four Bs, which is the buy, build, bought, and borrow. And I think the, the, the bought and the borrow are the things we've done a little bit of that are really going to be the accelerators. Let's be real. The workforce is only growing by so much scale. Right. And COVID has made that even more problematic. So the that bot and borrow. And so the bot being, of course, automation, RPA, AI, ML, um, we've started to dip our toe in that water in the DOD. But I think we've really got to put an accelerant on the bot side of it. And so these RPA challenges that the Air Force is doing, the shark, uh, the, the basically the shark cage type, type things of innovation um, on the other side of it, continuing to work the innovation with the industry academia side of it, right? So how do you take the cyber centers of excellence, the cyber Patriot programs and actually further accelerate? And so we, we just opened up an advanced technology center just recently where part of that program is going to underprivileged, you know, kids that may not frankly ever go to college and how do you get the cyber skills and those even software as a service skills and really drive those at the high school level for kids that may not ever hit college and, but what you're doing is you're growing the workforce pool in general, whether that's through automation or whether that's through underserved or underrepresented uh, communities. For the Air Force, are those partnerships with academia and other organizations? Is that the borrow piece that you're talking about where there's an interchange of ideas and skills and right. capabilities, Bill? Yes, absolutely. So um, you look at like the MIT accelerator on the AI side of it. There's that piece of it. Certainly that there's several cyber programs the Air Force has been heavy, heavy deep into um, some down in Texas and some other states. So, yeah, it's it's bringing in, I'll call it almost that free labor, right? It's that, you know, whether that's through grants and studies and those kind of things. But it, again, it's also part of your future force because you're creating the relationships and that love for for mission and country at the academic level. So there's a secondary impact as well, I would I would contend. So when you talk about the importance of bots in RPA, AI, machine learning, it reinforces then in my mind the importance of what General Brown talks about, about these skills being necessary for every airman and not just a, a group of multi-domain warfare officers. That every officer, basically what he's saying, every airman should be a multi-domain warfare expert. Absolutely. And I would, I would say through my career, um, we tend to put people on processes. Uh, I, I think building out, frankly, an expertise set of business flow and business logic. So many of these platforms, you think the, the sales forces and the service nows, you think about these, these really strong CRM platforms or, or workforce platforms. I, I fundamentally think we get scale in the workforce by creating people that understand business logic and these low-code, no-code platforms. That's how we're really going to accelerate. It's not generate a new Adobe form, which we've done for years, and then try to staff it through 300 people. Um, and so that's where I think that whole automation at the business level is key. And then absolutely at the warfighting level, speed is superiority. 
And so certainly where automation can accelerate, uh, that, that's a key piece as well. So I think that business logic level across all, all domains is, is absolutely critical and foundational. So you said a second ago that historically uh, services have put people on processes. Is it time to maybe flip that and start putting the processes on people? Or maybe this is what General Brown's getting at, Bill. Yeah, it, it's the... Um, it's frankly get people out of the process where they're not intrinsically value added, right? And there's repeatable processes in in governments and bureaucracies just natively and get the people to be on the actual problem solving, on that value creation. I would argue it's the normal business model. Do what you do best. Well, that's not passing around Adobe form to 13 offices. Automate what you can, use the logic. Um, In industry on our side, right? If we do it more than once, we try to automate it. Right. And then because we want those skill sets and those those capabilities to be used at the higher, higher level order thinking that is going on. So it's part of a larger, you know, transformation, I think, concept. It isn't just about bots and RPA. It's about flipping the workforce and what they focus on. At what point is it reasonable for the Air Force to judge itself, to measure itself, to see how they're succeeding? And how does one measure whether it's successful in propagating this capability all throughout the service? Well, I would say from my prior life, uh, we do a great job scorecarding ourselves. And I think it is time today to start grading ourselves. And it's okay if we start out at a 3% mark or a 5% mark, but I I, I think you're onto something, France. I think you do have to start grading yourself and you start even recognizing it's gonna be a low watermark because ideally, if you can get 5%, 10% incremental development, if you will, it's, it's really your agile mentality of getting that 5, 10. Um, I, I know Lauren Knossberger has been pushing that very hard because she sees that value as well. And so even just grading that, how do we, how do, and also it, it drives funding, right? So some of these do require some funding pieces. So grading, assessing where the dollars are going and making sure there's transformation. I, I would say it's now just just know that you're going to get quote unquote the failing grade, mm-hmm. but it's okay, right? The idea is you're you're incrementally improving the the larger ecosystem. At what point though should someone become dissatisfied with a lack of progress or really satisfied with the incremental progress that you've suggested? And at what point is that incremental success enough success? I think in this space, I think we shouldn't over gyrate on trying to get it perfect. Um, I, you know, a one-star restaurant doesn't become a five-star restaurant overnight. Uh, and so I, I think getting that next star and the next star is really what we ought to grade. If we can look back and say, we took, I'll, I'll do an analogy back when, when we worked for the secretary and she was removing the Air Force instructions. We had a number, but really it was like, did I remove 10 more? Did I remove 10 more? And, and that, that success breeds success, and I think it grows. So getting those successful RPA programs and bot programs and showing the successes so that others can magnify that, um, that that's, I, I wouldn't be too harsh on ourselves to say it's got to be at 30% by year three. I think it's like, I would say, did we improve by 10% last year and 15 the next year and 20 the next year? You said something a moment ago that I want to make sure I understand because I heard it a certain way, and I want to make sure I heard it that way. You said, I think... If we do something more than once, we should automate it. Did I hear you right? Because if that's the case, that that explodes the scope potentially 
of automation, not just in the Air Force, not just in the military services, and not just in the Defense Department, but all across government. That's there's an incredible amount of potential there. Oh, absolutely. And I, it's a it's a it's a little bit utopian, right? I'm not saying that every process we do that with, but those things that are core to your business that you know you're going to do. I mean, I would certainly value the ones that we know we're going to do over and over again, whether that's an HR process or or going through a, a voucher for an expense report, or you know, pick your stuff that repeats over and over and over for 700,000 airmen. Target those. Those have high ROI, right? Big, big return on investment. Then you you continually you know go down to the lower ROI until it's just part of your normal business operations. I mean, that, that's that's how we do it day to day in business, right? Because that's where you fundamentally free up dollars, you free up manpower, you free up ability to do the next. Bill Marion, great to talk to you as always, my friend. Thanks for coming on today. All right. Thanks much. You can read more about the digital skills of airmen and other military personnel in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. IT leaders from CISA and HHS headline the Government Innovation Strategy and Technology Conference on May 19th. It's happening at the International Spy Museum in downtown D.C. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Energy Department's new strategy to secure America's clean energy supply chain includes more than 60 things the agency will do. It's only one of a number of initiatives across the federal government to secure the supply chains of industries and the agencies themselves. General Gus Perna, U.S. Army retired as former commander of Army Materiel Command, former chief operating officer of Operation Warp Speed. He's now a leader of executive roundtables for Kepler Speakers. General, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on the program. You and your colleagues in the Army have done supply chain for years and years, centuries, as a matter of fact. What can civilian agencies learn from military organizations about supply chains and logistics? Welcome, General. Hey, first, thanks for having me on, right? It's really a pleasure, as always, uh, do this with you, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, so, you know, look, I, I'm going to start off with something very basic, right, um, uh, to, the, to, the, to the, the end of managing a supply chain. Uh, and it's something I've seen uh, the Army uh, uh, make a mistake, not make a mistake, but made a decision about, right? Uh, and I watch other agencies, uh, both government and commercial, for that matter, make the same uh, decision. Uh, look, first of all, you have to define what is the purpose of the supply chain. Many will come up and say, well, it's to it's make sure that everything's running and we have what we need when we need it, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and I would suggest to you that that's false bravado. Um, you really have to sit down at your desk on the whiteboard in front of people and define the purpose of the supply chain. Right. For me, as an Army general responsible for the maintenance, logistics and sustainment of the force, the purpose of the supply chain was readiness. Right. Um, and it, it defined in its simplest form, I didn't want any soldier anywhere in the world not to have what he or she needed at the time of their mission. Right. <laughs> they need ammo. It better be there. They need food. It better be there. They need fuel. It better be there. 
conversation is over. So that was my purpose, right? To make sure they had what they needed. Once you define the purpose with clarity, then you start working on what and how you're going to do things, right? And what will happen is you'll start talking about what you're going to do. and What might be, well, I'm only going to fund 70% of the supply chain. All right, well, let's talk about that for a moment. 70% of the supply chain in peacetime might be okay in the military, might be um, uh, for, for this point. But is it the right decision when the supply chain is required to support wartime? No, 70% is not good enough. So what we might do is manage the budget through the supply chain. Will it impact the purpose? The answer is yes. And so the clarity of purpose defines what and how you're going to do things. Uh, And I watched organizations, to include the Army, make decisions not connected to their purpose, right? And so what happens? Then you have supply chain disruptions because you make decisions like, I'm not going to maintain inventory or I'm not going, I'm going to change the algorithm for when we order things. Uh, I'm only going to pay for uh, safety uh, parts of the supply chain, not 100% of the supply. There's a magnitude of decisions that can be made. Defining purpose is the number one essential thing to be done. And, 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 and we can talk as we go through this, what are the impacts and how do you mitigate? But I just wanted to get that out up front. Yeah, no, that's exactly where I want to go, General, because defining the purpose, if that's the problem, or if, if that's the number one problem and the number one task that somebody needs to take on, then that's the definition. And that strikes me then as also the place where potentially it can go south the fastest, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I was just having a conversation with somebody um, and, and it was commercial industry. And I said, okay, tell me what your purpose is. And they said, well, we want to get the customer what they need when they need it uh, at the right time. I said, great. But before I could finish the word great, they said, well, we also want to maintain cash flow and we want to profit. I said, oh, no, now we got a conflict, right? Now you might get all three, but what is your decision making towards, right? Is Is your decision towards making sure you have the product to meet the customer demand? Right? Or is your decision that you want cash flow and or profit? They're gonna they're gonna be um, they're gonna uh, compete with each other, right? And you will make decisions accordingly, i.e., you'll go get products from maybe outside of the country because less environmental laws, less labor laws, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and you think that you're making the right decisions. Well, I don't know. Right. The current supply chain issues going on in the world. Many want to blame COVID. I don't blame COVID. I actually blame poor leadership decision making uh, up front. And then second, I blame those who are trying to. Well, I think they're being driven by other things than than uh, maybe the design purpose over. All right. What do you do? What does one do to think differently then about those problems because everything that you've outlined so far doesn't sound like a logistics problem it sounds like a decision-making problem and quite frankly a leadership problem am i hearing you right that's my personal opinion 
right? Now, it's not nefarious necessarily, right? It's, it's because they're constrained uh, one way or another. So for, for one thing, I'd say, you know, especially in the government, right? Here's what we need up front. We need uh, predictable and consistent budgets, right? We, you know, we need it. We need it year after year. Um, and we need, uh, you know, we can't have disruptions like CR. I, I, for the life of me, I don't understand CRs. You know, if I ever did that in my jobs, I would have been fired. Hey, I can't get to that right now. We're working through issues and uh, well, we'll get to it. So in the meantime, we're just going to, you know, we'll, you know, we'll do this mitigation thing. Right. And I would have been fired. Right. So first of all, predictable and consistent funding. Right. Because that's how you create um, the the uh you know, the, the resources necessary to do what you want. Second of all, we talked about it, define purpose. Third, right, you've got to figure out what you're going to do. Are you going to do uh, flow? You want things to flow? You want to create inventory? Or do you want just-in-time, just to make it simple, three categories? Um, I'm not a just-in-time person. The federal government is about purpose, right? Just-in-time is not a one I want. I don't believe in inventories. I, I, I didn't believe it when I was a young officer and I watched us stack things up, right? That ended up probably most likely not being used, um, you know, as we were doing things. So I'm a flow person. You know, you want to keep flow. It's like turning on the faucet in the winter, right? You want to keep enough going so it doesn't freeze. Um, so how do you create flow? Well, you got you to gotta have consistent funding. You got to have the op tempo and the algorithm that manages, you know, the information coming out of the op tempo. And then you've got to have predictable and consistent connections with those support, providing you your supply chain, right? So you got to be able to pay them. You got to be able to keep up the demand. Industry's not going to make things if you're not going to order them. That's not what their purpose is, right? And so you can't go up and down. Oh, we're not going to spend money because we're having trouble this year. We're not going to order, you know, 10, 20 repair parts. We're only going to order safety parts. Oh, come on. Right. I mean, they're going to turn off the faucet and the flow will stop. Right. Industry will go make teddy bears. If it makes them more profit. Right. So you got to think through how to uh, influence the what. The what was create flow. How do you do that? Right. Is the next question. Uh, and where we find ourselves making our biggest mistakes even if we identify purpose and we identify what, it's how do we go about doing it? We need more than one person providing the repair parts. We need to have um, people who perform to the standard to provide the repair parts. We need to um, uh, get our money's worth on you know the repair parts. You know, there's a there's a myriad of things to talk about there, um, but it is the fundamentals of managing the supply chain that we get distracted from. Uh, and I don't know why, you know, we think that everybody's just going to do what we want. So I apologize to your, maybe one of your main questions is, is I've been in the rooms. We get this, we get, um, we get disoriented or we get off track because budgets are coming in differently. Um, we get it. We have somebody come in with some great algorithm that's going to save us some money, right? And so we don't think through the impact of it. Um, we get distracted from our purpose in defining what and how we're going to do things. 
Um, the other day, somebody said, well, we've got to bring all this into the United States and, and we've got to have it here. And I said, OK, well, let's talk about that decision making. Right. Are you willing to pay for everything to be here? Because now we have, you know, uh, not wrong, but we have environmental laws that are different. We have labor laws that are different. We have union involvement that's different. All right. All those impact what we're trying to do. So then, you know, dollars go like this and then leaders got to figure out, OK, where do I want my dollars to be? Um, my point is, is leaders make decisions. We implement them right legally, ethically and morally. And then the effects occur accordingly. Right. <laughs> and you, you can't be shocked. Right. When we're getting most of our stuff from overseas and then all of a sudden overseas decides they're going to shut down for whatever reason. Right. Uh, or the shipping companies want more money per container. Right. Five hundred percent increase. Right. Why, why do you think that is? Well, because in 2021, they were shut down for a year. Now they're making up money. I don't know the answer. I don't have the facts. I'm just saying. Right. The physical capability and capacity still exists like it did in 19 and 20. Now it's 22. What changed that's causing all of this uh, change? Over. I want to go back to that idea of flow uh, to wrap up, General. Um, what did you see either at Material Command or at Operation Warp Speed or any of your other assignments that worked to keep people from being distracted from concentrating on that flow? Yeah, leaders. The bottom line is leaders have to be involved, right? Their needs. I'm a big systems uh, routine and process guys. I believe in high standards and discipline and execution. Most army generals, leaders are the, relatively the same. But you got to stay involved in this. You got to. You got one. You got to set up the battle rhythm to see yourself, right? Basic tenets. See yourself. Two. You got to set up the metrics. To achieve the effects that you want, let me let me just give you a simple simple one, right? Um, you know, uh, Army standards: uh, green, amber, red on the chart, right? Metrics: ninety percent or higher. Green, uh, amber is usually seventy to ninety percent, and usually anything below seventy percent is red, right? So simple metrics, just for this story. All right. The 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 problem is make a cup of coffee. All right. And it takes 10 steps to make a cup of coffee. You get nine steps done. Right. 90 percent. The chart shows green. Are you drinking coffee this morning? The answer is no. Right. You're not drinking coffee. Well, it's the same thing in dealing with the supply chain. Right. You got to you got to have the leadership involved. You got to have the metrics and then you got to lead your way through this. You've got to operationalize the effects. That's what we did in operational warp speed. That's what we did in the Army in managing our repair parts, right? We created mechanisms to see ourselves. We led, right, uh, uh, at the end of the table. We defined the metrics we wanted for our effects, right? Hey, money guy, thanks for your opinion. <laughs> My job is readiness, right? And so, uh, and then we executed accordingly. Over. General, a terrific conversation, excellent insight, and I appreciate it. I hope you'll come back and continue the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great honor to be with you as always, and thanks, thanks for inviting me to be a part of it. 
You can read more about the federal government's supply chain challenges in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put it together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Monday, the federal CIO, Claire Martirana, is here. Until then, have a great weekend. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.